Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. In this episode, Ryan Johnson takes us behind the scenes of his new murder mystery comedy, Knives Out. The film is a whodunit, following debonair detective Benoit Blanc's investigation of the death of renowned crime novelist Harlan Thrombey. With suspects aplenty in Thrombey's dysfunctional family and devoted staff, Blanc must wade through a sea of red herrings to uncover the truth. In addition to Knives Out, Mr. Johnson's directorial credits include the feature films Star Wars Episode VIII, The Last Jedi, Looper, The Brothers Bloom, Brick, and episodes of the television series Terriers and Breaking Bad. He won the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Dramatic Series for his 2012 Breaking Bad episode, 51. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Johnson spoke with director Denis Villeneuve about filming Knives Out. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Good evening. Welcome to this experimental Q&A. <laughs> It'll be entirely dance-based. <laughs> I don't understand English, so that's why it's going to be experimental. Okay. No, seriously, it's a privilege for me for, to be uh, with you tonight. It's a movie that I deeply loved, and I'm very uh, uh, yeah, honored to ask you a few questions, Ryan. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for being here. And, and Denis, thank you so much. I know you're in the middle of post-production I, I, right now. I owe so. you one. I owe you one. Thank you for being here, man. <laughs> so, uh, I read somewhere that Knives Out was an uh, old dream of yours. It's something that you had uh, in the back of your pocket for a while. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, I first I, I grew up reading Agatha Christie, and that's really where all this came from, is just wanting to do a whodunit. Um, and is there a word in French for who? I don't think there is for who done it. No. Nope. No. Well, <laughs> the American genre of who done it. Genre is a French word, by the way. That you can say. <laughs> the American genre of who done it, Dennis. Let me tell you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I always wanted to do one, and so um, and it, uh, along with um, Agatha Christie's books, just the 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 Agatha Christie adaptations. I grew up watching when I was a kid, which were the ones with uh, Peter Ustinov as Poirot. Yeah, yeah, Have you yeah. seen those? Yes, 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 yes. So Death on the Nile, Evil Under the Sun, um, which were, they had all-star casts, and they were big event fun entertainments that had a cheeky kind of self-aware sense of humor, but never ticked over into murder by death or clue territory. They were never parodies of whodunits. They were yeah, always... Yeah, that, that you just described your film quite beautifully. That's, yeah, that's what we were gunning for with this. So, and they were, when I was a kid, those were like, I remember going with my family and feeling that's the most fun a movie could possibly be is this type of movie. And so wanting to kind of capture that. But you use the word fun. There's something about your filmmaking. There's something about uh, your movies, I think, in general, that, that the, the sense of playfulness, which is a very strong quality for me. It's like a, something that you want to engage with the audience playing a game. Am I right? Or this, this idea of uh, uh, playing with a genre uh, to subvert things, where you have a kind of an iconoclast and at the same time to surprise. Uh, the idea of uh, destab uh, to destabilize, to play with the audience, 
to play with their perception? To, is it something that uh, you... I mean, it's... it's like a uh, piano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, completely. And that's, uh, I mean, that's, I, I oftentimes, yeah, I mean... Um, when I think about like like genre and like why I like using genre, I don't think about it a lot. A lot. I say oftentimes when I think, it's not like I sit at home thinking, why do I like genre? But um, I, I will use the analogy of a game board. What it does, what I like about genre is it gives you a game board between you and the audience where you both know the rules of the game. And so they know when you're playing by those rules and they know when you're breaking them. And so that creates a very interesting to me at least, a very interesting meta conversation between you and the audience because there's the conversation with how I'm moving the pieces and then there's almost the under the table conversation of knowing when I'm doing things that don't quite make sense. Oh, oh, this is going here because the audience knows the rules of the game. So, yeah, and the the fun of that, yeah, the play of that, like that's, that is something that... Um, that's kind of an ins essential ingredient, ingredient of what gets me ex excited, you know. I feel that strongly watching your movies. Um, Next card. Which was about genre. No, okay. Uh, the thing is that um, in in this one, it's also uh, by playing with this, it's it's so much beautiful to say genre in French than genre. That's uh, I don't know. It's difficult for me to pronounce. <laughs> the, the, um, <laughs> You did more than who done it for me. Is that there's something about uh, you played, you brought, as you said, some uh, element of comedy, but also it's a, uh, it's a political movie in the same time. Can you uh, comment a bit on this? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I I don't have to. Yeah, I mean, it's not a subtle film. <laughs> I don't have to spell out what the political stuff in it is, but it, it that was a very important thing for me. Is um, not so much to to make some kind of political statement or something, but really it, I. I mean, one of the things I think um, this genre, yeah, you're going to have to rate genre. me. Genre. <laughs> genre. Is, uh, uh, I'll get it by the end of this Q&A. Um, is very often thought of as kind of, as kind of timeless and as a little kind of jewel box, like apart from reality, the worlds of the whodunit. And um, I think that is largely because most of the time when we see them, they're period pieces and they're Agatha Christie adaptations, which are set in the past. They're disconnected from our world. And it's easy to forget that if you're an Agatha Christie fan, you know, it's not like she was a political writer, but she was always engaging with her time. And she was always engaging with contemporary British society through this spectrum of characters that she created from the high to the low of whatever microcosm she was creating of kind of the powers of, of society with her little kind of mansion or whatever she was setting the novel in. So, um, and you can pick up any Agatha Christie book and then read it and instantly know what decade it was written in or what, you know, what period of time because she wasn't writing timeless books. She was always engaging with the culture. Um, so the notion of recapturing that and really plugging this into America in 2019 um, that again seemed exciting. The one of the the question I wanted to uh, to talk about was a thing I wanted to talk about. For me, the main character of the movie. For me, the main character of the movie is the house. And um, I was wondering because the plot evolved so much about the structure. I would say the geography of the house. Did you? Is it a house that you knew before you wrote the screenplay, or you 
discover as you were writing the screenplay or did you write the screenplay and then found a house that was matching grosso modo what you were looking for and adapted the screenplay because it's so precise yeah it was well I'm glad that it feels that way because it was the last thing you described it was I was writing the script and we started scouting for houses when I was near the end of writing and we found this house in Massachusetts this is a real house it's just a mansion in the middle of Massachusetts and it really is um the murder mystery mansion of the mind. It's perfect. It, it, it's, That's fantastic. It evokes, but I mean, we, and so um, geography-wise, though, in terms of the specifics, uh, we, the upstairs hallway with the trick window we had to build on a mm. stage, and also his attic office above that, and that, basically that, that little hallway and the attached office we had to build. Um, other than that, though, yeah, I was able to kind of adapt and make it work, and we built a trellis on the outside where we needed it and kind of faked a few things but made them work. And um, But the tone of that house and, like, the feel of it, and the um, especially once David Crank, our production designer, and David, yes, give it up for David Crank, who, anyone who doesn't know, he's collaborated with Jack Fisk on... on um, PTA's movies and on uh, Terrence Malick's movies. He's an absolutely lovely man and a genius. Um, and then our set decorator, David Schlesinger, who is the one who found all of the amazing stuff inside the house. Uh, all of that was brought in by Schlesinger, and he he found a local collector of automatons, of like the doll robots, because I had given them the reference of the film Sleuth from the 70s, which is one of my favorite films. And, um, and so he, he found a collector of automatons in Massachusetts and convinced him to lend us his collection of these priceless automatons. And all of those, like, there's the detail in it. I can still pause the movie and, like, find things I hadn't seen before. But that's the first thing that struck me when the, at the beginning of the movie is that uh, all those beautiful inserts that you did with a lot of love. I will say as a director, I was like, wow, okay, that's a very beautiful inserts of all those objects. I mean, uh, are you a victim of some kind of fetishism? Or, I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, no, kind but it was, of, kind it was, of. It, it's, it's, uh, it's something you are, you, you work a lot with the uh, inserts, yeah. a lot. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it is something that, um, I mean, there are a, a a couple of movies that kind of that do kind of spark. I mean, Sleuth very much does that. I don't know if you've seen the '70s version of Sleuth, Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier. It's a brilliant film, but it uses that. I will humiliate, humiliate myself in front of everybody, but I will watch it uh, this well, week or something. Okay, <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, that's actually anyone who's seen it is excited for you because seeing it for the first time, it's got some twists and turns that are just amazing. Um, uh, Death Trap is another one that's um, there. Those are kind of whodunit adjacent films. They aren't really whodunits. Um, but they're adjacent to the genre. Yes. Adjacent à le genre. No, but the thing is that uh, by using those inserts uh, at the beginning of the movie, you create a, a sensation of a claustrophobia, but also that uh, the house comes alive. Like you feel the ghost, you feel the past, you feel the, all those stories, all the parallel stories, you feel like there's like a construction. And uh, is it something that... Uh, uh, you did by intuition, or it was part of the game. That you're, uh, you understand my question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it. I mean, both. It felt, it felt very right for that opening sequence. I mean, the whole point of that opening kind of overture, when she's walking through the house and taking all that time, is to basically before we meet 
um, the patriarch, the uh, Harlan Thrombey, mm -hmm. to to meet him before we meet him, to basically lay out his. You you understand him basically before you even meet him because of his house, and so soaking in as much detail as possible. And there is a fetishistic sort of, like you say, there is that element of it that just gives me great intense pleasure. <laughs> like these incredibly gorgeous. It's a, it's a um, you know, uh, it's something that kind of, um, I don't know, I think about Ricky Jay, you know, and Ricky's, um, yeah, please give it up for Ricky Jay, um, who, those of you who don't know, Ricky was, uh, he was a, I was very lucky to count him as a friend, and he is a, uh, uh, he passed away recently, but he was a scholar of um, magic, and he was one of the great sleight of hand artists in the world, but he was also a scholar of all things interesting and unusual, and obscure and um uh so anyway it's some it's something that makes me think of ricky is the just the the joy taken in all these little odd relics and relishing them as we walk around the house basically that's really i, I thought it was a total uh, success um, the thing is that i would like to talk about the characters in the movie that are again uh, as uh, Everything in this movie, there's a level of precision that I, I thought was very impressive in general. The thing is, the characters. I mean, uh, you wrote the movie, so it means that uh, when you approach the actors, um, are things are all bolted and concrete in your mind? Is the, or you you like to uh, to uh, brainstorm with the actors? Do you like like as an example, where that Mississippi accent came from? Yeah, I've. Um I mean, more and more, I, I grow less and less concrete, and that's that, you know, I enjoy m more and more, um, I mean, the joy is being surprised by actors on set, and so whether in casting, um, I'm, I'm, ne I'm always casting with an eye towards who is going to be amazing to work with and who, but I don't know what, how they're going to play this part, and that means that on set, I'm going to be surprised, and I figure if I'm being surprised and delighted, then I'm a good surrogate for the audience. Um, so uh, Daniel was a was a good example of that. Actually, um, I had written the part too much. At first, I started writing, and I had Poirot too much in my head, and I was just I started throwing all these quirks at the character. It got ridiculous. I had like an eye patch, and like it was just silly. <laughs> and finally, I was like, "This is terrible." And so I'd stripped all that out and said, "Okay, he has a southern accent to make him a fish out of water with these New England wasps." And then whoever I find to play this part, because I didn't know who's going to play it, will figure it out, and they'll I'll, I'll trust them to inhabit this and bring the qualities that the character needs. Um, and it's not like we rewrote it; there wasn't a ton of changes to the dialogue or oh, anything. I guess, I guess, yeah. Yeah, it's just like him bringing that slight sense of self-inflation to it, and that that tinge of he loves to hear his own voice and finding that Mississippi accent, the that Shelby foot. You know Mississippi drawl, um, and him luxuriating in that. You know that kind of gave it that Yusinafa's Poirot kick. He found the slight clownishness of the character that I feel like was is so important for a eccentric detective. Yeah, like you that. felt it definitely. Uh, uh, you feel it uh, that the cast had a blast. I mean, a lot of pleasure in the, the the way they approach their characters, the way they portray their characters, the, the the all the little things that they brought. I mean, as an audience, like you feel, 
It's like, um, how did you work with them? Did you do a lot of uh, rehearsal, table readings? Or? No, I've never done table. I've done one table reading in my life for my first film, Brick, and it was such a disaster. We almost <laughs> didn't make the movie, and so I haven't done one since. <laughs> and um, I find them uniquely unhelpful. I know there are directors who really love them, and um, and I'm sure I just haven't figured out how to properly use them yet. But I, I they just kind of make me frustrated. Um, and so, no, I like to get in there and work. I do love rehearsing we did not get a chance really to rehearse with this movie because first of all because the movie came together so quickly um i started writing the film like sitting down and writing writing january of 2018 last year and we had wrapped the film by christmas it happened blindingly fast and part of that was Um, we found it was Daniel signing on because he had a very quick window before he went back into James Bond world. And we were very lucky to, um, everything came together. We had, we had been talking for a while before that to, uh, to Modi and Bry and Jonathan at MRC. And they were, they, we wanted to work with, to work with them and they, they jumped right in and we were making them and they, everything just kind of came together. And then with them, we hooked up with Lionsgate and, everything kind of clicked and we were making it really quick. So um, anyway, which is all I'll say, we did not have time for rehearsal. Yeah. So that's amazing because there's a tone, but that it's all uh, credits to you, know, but there's a tone, that general tone. You feel that they are playing in a, in a Johnson universe, you know, it's like playing on, <laughs> they are on your planet. And the, the thing is uh, to get that tone without rehearsal and having everybody playing the same. You understand what I mean? Well, it's a, I think it's a credit to them. I mean, everybody clicked in very, very quickly. You know, we had to, but I found they, clicked in very quickly. It was amazing to me. Like from day one, I, I, we had had conversations about some of the things I talked about before, about finding this tone where it was fun and self-aware but never left the planet Earth because it still had to work as a movie. And I, they all heard that and were really, really good at what they did and they found it very quick and, and everyone kind of clicked together. Um, from day one, I found I didn't even have to do many takes. Like, they got it very, very fast. I was like, yes, that's you it. Had a, you had an amazing cast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, With the, people the, like the this. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, do you improvise a little bit? Because there of the comical elements, the, do you uh, allow yourself to get out, out of the the road a little bit sometimes or you don't have that time yeah oh yeah no I, I love especially when they're all arguing and it was funny who would like be great at it that you wouldn't expect like the best uh, improv person in the whole group Michael Shannon and he some of the funniest lines in the movie I like he had a line that just killed he was like uh, I'm not eating one iota of shit he shouts back at Chris that was a Michael Shannon special and uh, he starts he started just like he went up and started shoving the cookies into Chris Evans face at the end of that argument scene and said uh, maybe Harlan left you a cold glass of milk in his will asshole and that's a Shannon it's like he would just I think because you don't expect him to be hilarious because he's so, like, he can seem so intense. It's even funnier. <laughs> yeah, it's even funnier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I love it. And I um, and there wasn't room, obviously, for too much just because it's such a um, jigsaw puzzle of a movie. But Yeah, yeah, really, really. It's like a, the, it's a very precise mechanic, so it's like... A... But you want to stay loose. I don't know. That's a thing. I... I Again, increasingly, I take pleasure in showing up and figuring out how loose we can stay on set and how much we can play. And if there's a new idea, if we can incorporate it, that's something where I think when I started making films, I was much more locked up and precious, and I've taken more and more pleasure in loosen, <coughs> loosening my grip on, on set, I guess, and finding things. I understand that. No, but it's, a, it's a brilliant. Um, 
uh, at the beginning, there's like um, there's a cross-cutting interrogation sequence. I deeply loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant because the way you were able to, again, that element of playfulness, but also the suspense that it was creating, a playful suspense, not knowing uh, who will be giving the answer. At the, when you, you constructed that sequence, um, was it written as it is, or you made lit a bit uh, longer interaction with each character so it give you a bit more space in the editing room? It was, it was pretty much written as it is. We did, as you know, you always do a little compressing and tightening over the course of it. It was, it was pretty, pretty close to what it was. And it would, on, it's interesting, too, because on the page that was that first, like, whatever, 20 or 30 pages of the script that is that opening thing, that was, I, we never didn't get the note from the script from anybody, any of my smart writer friends I showed to, anybody that those pages were, they're like, well, the first 20 pages are really, really rough, but then the script kind of clicks in and takes off. And um, it was really hard because I started to kind of, it, I started to come to a realization that seems is a very dangerous realization to come to, which is just that it was much harder to read on the page than it would be to see on the screen. Because of the intercutting, because of you're asking them to remember all of these names, on the page, whereas opposed to you recognize, oh, that's Tony Collette, oh, that's Michael Shannon. If you're just reading Walt's Joni, it's tougher to keep in your head. And the thing is, you never want to do that. This is, you never want to give yourself the out of, yeah, I know that's really tough to read, but I think it'll play on the screen. You never want to give yourself that. And we kept working on it. I kept trying to make it as fast and fun as possible. But at some point, I did just have to make that leap and say, I think this is a type of sequence that it'll flow really naturally when we shoot it, um, even if it's a Fantastic tough to read. Fantastic sequence, I must say. Oh, thanks, so very, very beautiful. You. Very, uh, what is your relationship with editing? Are you uh, uh, someone who um, likes to be uh, behind uh, the editor's shoulder all the time, or are you more, what is it? Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm really bad. My editor, Bob Doucet, deserves a medal for his patience with me. I started, because um, I started cutting my, I, you know, as a kid, I just always, in, growing up, I making my own movies, I just cut my own stuff. And um, Brick, my first film, I cut, I cut myself. I, I learned how to edit just by having my hands on the material. And it's really been Bob Doucet, who is an incredible editor and um, he really has, has taught me how to work with an editor. He has taught me the value of that collaboration and um, and to the point where I can't imagine, you know, it's, it's for me that collaboration with Bob is now, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's so incredibly valuable and important. And, um, so yeah, anyway, but yeah, I am, but I am incredibly involved in, in the whole process yeah, I understand, though. Yeah. But, uh, I understand the value of, uh, working with someone that, uh, is as strong or better than you in a editing room in a way yeah. To, yeah, to, to throw the ball. And brings back. different strengths to it than you and kind of, yeah. And, and gives you a different perspective. I think that's the thing that you're always, that's, the gold that you're trying to protect through the editing process is some degree of perspective. And it's a thing you just lose at some point. You know? But a movie like that, uh, from a structural point of view, I guess it didn't evolve that much. It, it didn't. No, uh, less than any of the other films that, that I've done. And it, it um, I guess that makes sense, again, considering the, mm -hmm. 
you know, you would think, I, the thought going into it, it will probably do a lot of shuffling because of the weird modular nature, nature of it. But I guess, yeah, no, it, it, it clicked together very quickly. And, you know, we did a lot of work on it, but we didn't do much rearranging at all. Okay, and uh, it's a weird question, but uh, is it a lot of things on the floor of the editing room right now? Or? No, not much. There's really two very, very good scenes, which we'll, we'll um, we won't put back in the movie, but we'll like put, you know, we'll put somewhere in with the home video release. But um, no, it, that, I mean, there's a lot of little tightening and then there's two scenes, but not a lot. Yeah, yeah, this was... You know, again, the, the screenplay is like a, a so uh, precise that I I don't yeah. under, I don't see where you could, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. very very precise. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was that was it. Yeah, we got in the. I mean, we did do a lot of work in the cutting room. There was a lot of, and there is a lot that was left on the on the floor. But it's pieces of lines. It's little bits of business. It's that kind of thing. You know. And uh, you told me that you had like 35 days of shooting. That's quite amazing. Yeah, strong work. Strong. Work. It felt good to, yeah. I mean, it's not fast as far as fast shoots are go, but it, it is, you know, it's not a long time to shoot. And so, but that to me was fun. I mean, after I had a, a great time making, uh, you know, the, the last movie I made was a Star Wars movie and I had a great time making that, but it was six months of shooting is 115 yeah, days. Stuff. Yeah. And, um, it, there was something I felt really good about just jumping in and did, you can't get precious. You have to shoot it. Yeah. And how was it to, um, I'm trying to remember star Wars, but, uh, I think that there was much more people involved on, 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 on I was the, excited. You're going to ask a specific question. I wanted to hear you in your accent, say the word Wookiee. I thought it would be really, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be the most beautiful. No, no, but the thing is that you, you, uh, to, uh, work with that many actors on set at the same time. No. Yeah. It, that, that was another big difference with this is, and this is the first time I've ever really staged and blocked, you know, a dozen actors at once. And that was, for me, a very big, that was kind of the, the postgraduate course of this movie was, was figuring out how to, um, how to block lots of actors. And I found myself thinking much more about staging and blocking than about camera angles with this, um, which again was another fantastic way to start wrapping my head around it, you know, going and, um, watching directors who are really good at blocking and figuring out how to stage and looking at, you know, you know Michael well, Curtiz. You say, what, what was your source of inspiration when you'd say that? Well, I would, I would go back, I would watch a lot of older films where they didn't do a lot of coverage. I watch Michael Curtiz movies and look at how he blocks large groups of actors in the frame so that he can carry. And we did, you know, look, we did coverage with this. We're still cutting around. It's not, it's not a Michael, it's obviously not a Michael Curtiz movie, but just looking at the way that he, um, I don't know the, in the older films there, I mean, Spielberg's like a modern master of it. You know yeah, I mean? Yeah. There's guys who just know how to block actors so that one person moves and the shot changes into a different shot with the camera not even moving and realizing that that is as important a tool. As, I always thought about camera angles when I was, you know, starting out making movies. It's all, it was about getting cool angles, realizing that staging and blocking is, maybe more important than, than, or that they dance together, I guess. That was, for me, a big, probably obvious, but for me, that's something no, no, I've been no, learning. I totally, lately, yeah. I totally understand. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about camera work, I mean, uh, one thing that I love in your, uh, is the, the, the art of the, your panoramics, your pans, very precise, fast. Uh, I read somewhere that uh, 
once you, your camera work was inspired by eight and a half or something. Is it true? Well, I love that movie, but yeah, yeah. But I no, but I there's mean, something about the art of just grabbing something that is just there out of frame that sur surprises you and gives a total different meaning to uh, what you just saw. I love the and 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 something that feels uh, that is motivated by psychology as opposed to by following an actor. Something that um, where a camera move communicates perspective uh, of subjective perspective as opposed to something where you're literally tracking and you're moving because the object you're filming is moving and that's I mean look that is something that um, uh, yeah I, 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 there's something that Fellini <laughs> just does to the 2000th degree but but uh, but that is something that I love you know and there's not a ton of it in this movie it's a very straightforward movie as far as that goes but whenever there's an opportunity to express point of view subjectively through camera work. I mean, Scorsese is the other one who's obviously the master of that. You look at, especially in the period around like, you know, um, life lessons and after hours, the stuff that he was doing to s convey a psychological, you know, stare to convey through camera. I'm babbling now. <laughs> no, no, no. Got no me. Please, uh, I, you I, fixed I, me with those. No, with no, those. but I, my friend, I, I thank you so much for your generosity. Sorry, guys, as you see, I'm not professional. The thing is, I thank you. It was a privilege for me to talk. Uh, oh, this was so much tonight. fun. I did Denis, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Guys, thank you. That was a blast. <laughs> man. You did so good. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned for more great Q&As with directors The Safdie Brothers and Sam Mendez. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.